Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi there, and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast, coming to you from the top floor of my Wall Street HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about Slack's recent listing on the US markets, Facebook's new cryptocurrency, and two companies that we would have passed up on in a pitch meeting. Okay guys, so before we kick off this week, we have to come back to something we were talking about last week, which was Slack's IPO. They've since, uh, well not really an IPO, Rory, was it? No, it's not an IPO, it was a direct listing, which is kind of the same as an IPO, I suppose. It's just, they become a public company without all the fanfare that usually accompanies an IPO. Um, They just one day are listed, there's no kind of big ringing the bell moment or people standing around waiting for it to open although there was a bit yeah but uh yeah it didn't so they it basically just meant that the people who already own shares largely the employees and um the founders and the early investors were just allowed to start selling their shares uh last thursday last thursday yeah so so because of this direct listing i wonder is that why maybe they haven't seen such as explosive growth as beyond meat or zoom well, importantly, they didn't really, uh, the, they didn't actually see any growth. It was reported okay. the next day that Slack had increased something like 58% on its uh, first day, which actually is totally incorrect. It mm. never, it didn't increase that much at all. Um, there was a reference price, mm-hmm. uh, which was $26. I think it opened up at about 38 Um but no one actually had paid 26 for it, so the price hadn't actually risen at any it's stage. not a, it's what's well, not an accurate benchmark as usually we have a guiding price yeah exactly set so by you, the banks is it or yeah set by the banks which is like their 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 price range for the stock so it didn't actually increase uh, on its first day but it's it's doing well i mean it's it's it has increased its value from its last private valuation it's up threefold um as a public company now which is incredibly impressive mm-hmm. uh, regardless of not having the kind of um, hubbub of going up eighty percent on their opening day. Okay. Um. So yeah, that's they're they're trading now. Um, trading at like eighteen, nineteen billion dollars uh, for the company. And can I just check what you mentioned there, Rory? The only shares available were staff and early investors who could decide to sell within the direct listing. Yeah. So it's like if um. You know, in an IPO, what generally happens is they they decide to raise money by issuing new shares. Um, and what they typically do is they offer them out to the bigger banks and the banks buy them. And then there's this day when they all start selling them, which is their IPO day. Yeah. Um, that's not what happened here. They didn't want they didn't want to raise any money from this uh, going public. They just wanted to start selling their shares. They just day. wanted to list. So they're not raising any any funds for the business itself. They're just giving early investors, employees founders now have a liquidity uh, if they so wish yeah, event, yeah. yeah a liquidity event if they wish to sell their shares okay. and would it be naive to say that's a sign of confidence on the part of Slack not needing to raise money or it's hard to know whether it's a sign of confidence I mean like the first time th- this has been going on for years and years this direct listing thing but it was usually restricted 
to kind of the smaller companies that wouldn't necessarily generate a huge amount of public interest anyway. Yeah. Um, the big first big company to do it and was kind of seen as a kind of trendy move on their part was Spotify last year. Uh, when they, and, you know, a couple of the reasons they gave for it was, you know, they, it was pretty costly to IPO. Again, they said they didn't need to raise any money for it. Um, so I'm not sure it's uh, necessarily a kind of confidence thing, but it's more of just it's kind of the it's the new trendy thing to it's do is the <laughs> if you're a cool tech company to just direct list. Um, but I have to say, I do. I love Slack as a business. I yeah. really like it. We've talked about it a lot in this podcast and it's here at my Wall Street. It's just so ingrained into your everyday life. It's yeah. the first thing I would like turn on in the morning when I come in. Yeah, same. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so I mean, if you think about the way people work, how the way we've worked has changed over the past going 20 years or so. Um, you know, people used to work in offices that have their own rooms, their own office uh, places. Everything you did was kind of like you, you do it on a document that you kind of sent out to people and that was like the finished product. There wasn't the kind of collaboration that we see at the moment. Yeah. Now we all work in kind of open spaces. Uh, we use Google Docs so everyone can change and comment. And it's uh, like a document is never finished. It's kind of a living document forever, it seems. And Slack's really dug into that marketplace um, where everyone kind of has a say, not necessarily everyone has a say in things, but there's a lot of collaboration between teams and teams from different departments get involved in various projects. Um, so I think they've kind of, they're really, they've really come out at, at the exact right time um, in terms of the evolution of how we work. And they have a great founding story as well, which I wasn't really aware of, which is that uh, Stuart Butterfield, the CEO, uh, the founder and CEO, actually, they started out as a gaming company. Mm. And they were trying to make video games, essentially, and it wasn't really working out for them. And literally with the last five million quid they had left in the bank, convinced their backers to let them develop this internal messaging system that they'd been working with within okay. the company. And, and that was the birth of Slack. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of one of those you have to fail a lot to find success kind of stories. It's one we'll definitely be keeping on the, the short list for now. Yeah, it's one mm -hmm. of the few. I mean, we have a rule in here not to get involved in IPOs too early and it's... Really it's a tempting one, still, isn't it? Even at that valuation, it's 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 highly valued. It's a forty-nine times sales, I think, at the moment. It's a very attractive business. I think they've got incredible network effects, yeah, um, in place there. There's I mean, really rapid growth and adoption by people. Like the 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 way you can integrate with other businesses. Yeah, it's hard to really, ignore. It's very hard to ignore. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, even when you see there was a news story. I'd, was it this week where Microsoft is kind of banning people? From yeah, using it? I, mean, I think they're trying to probably force them. They have their own tool, Teams, is it? Yeah, they yeah. use Teams. And I've never used Teams, but um, yeah, the fact that they're banning <laughs> their employees from using it is it says a lot yeah. about where they think that business is going. I reckon they're probably there. Uh, there's a lot of companies who'd like to acquire them. Yeah, there was. Um, they they've a a partnership with Atlassian, don't they? Yeah, so them and Atlassian are kind of doing. This, the different sides of the same mm. coin really I think in different ways so Slack's very much kind of the communication side of the tool and Atlassian had a couple of competitors I think HipChat was one of them um, and Atlassian on the other side are doing a lot more of the kind of project management side of things mm. and the development side of things so our development team uses Atlassian products heavily so I think, I mean, a merger of equals between those two companies could be quite interesting. Pretty, and, yeah. Uh, funnily enough, uh, Atlassian's ticker is team and Slack's ticker is work. So. Work, yeah. No. <laughs> Teamwork. I liked work. Others giggled when that was the ticker, but I actually thought that was quite attractive. So uh, moving on then from Slack, um, I want to talk about Facebook. We haven't talked about them in a while. Okay. And I suppose... <laughs> What was, I think, one of the cheekiest moves I've ever seen Facebook announcing a cryptocurrency. 
Um, so I suppose it's two weeks ago now, or last week actually, uh, Facebook came out with Libra, which sounds very like, what's the French for free? Libra? Libra. Libra in Spanish. It's a good name, I think. Libra. Yeah, it's, not, it's, it's based on, an, is it in ancient Greece or Rome, a unit of measurement? Yeah, it's a unit, it was some sort of unit of measurement in either Greece or Rome. Yeah. And it's also that symbol that the, the British pound uses. That oh, it was based on, yeah, mm. or it was based on the... the the symbol for Libra but anyway <laughs> um, yeah so Facebook have launched this cryptocurrency called Libra um, they well it's not it actually Facebook okay you go on there sorry so another question but because uh, because of their their spotted history with trust um, yeah. Facebook actually launched a subsidiary company called Calibra um, to launch this cryptocurrency um, and there's also the Libra Association and so this is a collective of 28 companies that will include payment rivals like Visa, MasterCard and PayPal and supposedly this association is there to veto any objectionable decisions that Facebook might make and it's also they were very clear that you know these are two separate companies there'll be no cross-sharing of data between you know Facebook <laughs> let, <laughs> let me be, get through this already let us be very clear we don't believe them Sorry, there'll be no cross-sharing of data <laughs> but there was a few questions so like I'm sure by now you've all read about Libra. There's a few questions I had. So number one, is it a cryptocurrency? So, you know, back in late 2017, when everyone was talking about cryptocurrencies, um, it seemed like a very kind of revolutionary thing. You know, it was moving away from, you know, fiat currencies, uh, the dollar and the pound or what have you. It was very, very separate. It was, it, it was kind of like a revolution, as I've said. So if Facebook or the Libra Association is, is kind of behind this, I don't know, there, there seems to be a lot of conversation out there that it's not really a cryptocurrency, it's a digital currency. Um, it has a ledger and things like that, but it's it'll be run by a company rather than this permissionless type system. But what I thought was really interesting, so Facebook currently has about 2 billion monthly active users. So on launching this, if they were to assume that you know everyone with a Facebook account starts using this, they'd instantly be the world's most widely used currency. And the market I think they're really trying to target is the remittance market. So people, you know, working in the US and sending money back home to wherever they're from. So I've just done a bit of research. In 2017, uh, this is from the Pew uh, Institute, that there was almost $48.5 billion sent from the US to other countries in 2017 in remittances. Globally, the remittance total was uh, just over half a trillion dollars in one year. Now, if you think, you know, people usually use um, services like Western Union with fees, I think just from looking around between 10 and $100 usually to, to send money. Mm. If Facebook, which you can set up a Facebook account in seconds, offer this cheap way to send money back and forth, I think that... That's a market they can really hit. Yeah, but is it going to be? I mean, so is it going to be cheaper? Because the like, so yeah, the remittance market is huge, and I think that's probably the one that they're going to um, that they're going to after strongest. Mm. And you know, fees. So there's another PayPal have a remittance company called Zoom, which is very popular. Um, we tried to invest in it just before PayPal acquired, acquired it, yeah. it about four years ago. But you know, the fees associated with remittance and any, any sort of like. The, actually moving money around the world isn't hard at all it's just changing a few numbers um, it's it's all the compliance costs that come yeah. with it because money is tightly controlled yeah. uh, so you know you need to you know in this country at least you need to know your customer um, you need to look out for money laundering all that kind of stuff and if you're creating a system that's digital only and they're going to say it's cheaper they, they're just assuming that they're going to have cost advantages which I don't necessarily think they are going to have yeah and um, now maybe I'll be wrong about that, but 
the thing with cryptocurrency is because it's decentralized, it actually yeah. could be cheaper because you can just ignore all those regulations. <laughs> Um, at, with then the risk kind of passed on to users. Yeah, you know, like mm. this is this is the problem with with Bitcoin and things like that. Is there's there's no regulation, so it can be really cheap. But then the because there's no regulation, on, yeah. there's an awful lot there's of risk involved. There's and risks. Yeah, um, the words risk and Facebook are two words I don't like to see together. <laughs> well, like I've listened to everything that you've just both said, but I'm like I'm aware we had a presentation internally in my Wall Street uh, today, which discussed something called the primacy effect. Yeah, which is when you're offering a new service or product or brand to be clear, straightforward, make the offering simple. You know, make mm. it short and sweet. I'm I'm still digging in here into what this is and why yeah. I would use it. Yeah, I don't know. I just I think the biggest the biggest question is well, opposed to both of you, would you use? <laughs> Facebook cryptocurrency absolutely not I'd need another error figuring out what exactly I'm getting into you know yeah like, I had a good think about it and I actually think you know I, I don't use Facebook an awful lot but I think this would push me faster towards completely deleting my presence <laughs> off Facebook and all of that but then I don't know does that <laughs> so there's been a couple of like I don't know if these are alarmist signals about Libra but um, a woman called Katharina Pistor wrote out an, an article I think was in, I think the title of it which was Libra must be stopped um, and one of the quotes I pulled from her article was after years of disregarding privacy exploiting user data and failing to control its platform Facebook has now unveiled a cryptocurrency and payment system that could take down the entire global economy governments must intervene before a company that moves fast and breaks things ends up breaking everything and it just she just goes on Governments must not allow private profit-seeking parties to put the entire global financial system at risk. If banks are too big to fail, then states definitely are. If governments fail to protect us from Facebook's latest act of hubris, we will all pay the price for it. So she's looking at this from a kind of <laughs> right. nervous like, laughter. It's a no from me. If she, if she, and she makes some points, and I'm not an expert on, on the movements of currencies and, and macro events like that, but you know, if, if we think about the failure of a major currency or or if central banks are backing this thing up and suddenly there's imagine there's a run on the libra yeah you know, what country is ever going to be able to support this or who's going to take yeah it, who's going to who's going to monitor it? um but honestly i don't know if this is going to work out for them at all I yeah you 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 think this might be another one of uh facebook's flops yeah facebook facebook are notorious for flops like if we think about it facebook's actual successes have been the main platform really um obviously and then they've basically bought, Instagram. <laughs> bought Instagram, they bought WhatsApp, they Mess- bought Messenger. Did, did they buy I thought Messenger was part of Facebook and then they kind of split it off. Wasn't That's that? my understanding too. Yeah, it was part of the original platform. But so I just looked up a couple of uh Facebook failures over the years. Um in two thousand eleven they launched Facebook Deals, which was supposed to compete with Groupon. Uh they closed it after four months. Uh, they had a, a service called Facebook Gifts where you could send physical presents to other members in about 2012. They sold that after a year. They tried the coupon thing again with a, with Facebook offers. Um, the dating? Work out. The dating, yeah. Yet, yet to be seen. Facebook for Business was announced about five years ago. It was mm. going to be the end of LinkedIn. Um, I think we're this jury's still out on Vior, to be honest. I think we're... Oculus, uh, I, yeah. yeah. I've kind of given up on the idea of Vior. Maybe I'll be wrong about that. Uh, Facebook Places was going to destroy Force. Foursquare, um, they tried several times to disrupt the main Snapchat app with a, with a uh, business called Slingshot and another one called Poke. Both of those were total failures. They're actually not very good at product innovation, and they've got this portal thing, the 
it's, it's, people have already forgotten about this. The Facebook, <laughs> Facebook. I've ever heard of it. <laughs> Facebook launched like a video uh, tablet thing that you can put in your home and talk to people. This was only six months ago. We were talking about this like pretty heavily, <laughs> and it, like no one's heard of it since because people don't want to buy products from Facebook. They use it because it's got utility. And maybe this will have utility. I could be yeah. totally wrong on this, but I, I don't see it happening. I think there's too many there's there's too many better options out there. Yeah. So we're we're not bullish on fa- Facebook money. Um, moving on, then some other big companies in trouble. Rory, what's going on with big tech? Uh, well, nothing's going on just yet, but <laughs> there has been a lot of talk recently about the break of big tech, and a couple of the bigger companies, kind of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, probably have been the main the main ones where. Uh, regulators are looking into are these companies too big are they too powerful do they need splitting up um, and one thing I noticed the, uh, Tim Cook gave commencement speech uh, I think it was at Stanford um, yeah the other, the other day and he's definitely come out by far as the kind of the most reasonable I think of the big tech CEOs and probably the most responsible I think he's uh, claimed that he has the kind of um, I suppose most north facing moral compass yeah Apple have definitely taken the higher ground in all of this I think they're definitely positioning themselves very strongly on privacy and that this all kind of started was it about two years ago after the shootings in, in California yeah and they refused to cooperate or to to unlock the phone which he used to unlock the phone for the FBI just a couple of lines I pulled from his um, his commencement speech uh, this is a good one I thought if you've built a chaos factory you can't dodge the responsibility for the chaos um, <laughs> I wonder he, who he was directing yeah, Jack Dorsey <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he I mean he, he this was actually I pulled this actually from an article he wrote which was kind of a condensed version of the speech he gave and he's a very good writer he writes with great poise um, he talks about when he talks about privacy in particular. He says, "Think of what's at stake. Everything you write, everything you say, every topic of curiosity, every stray thought, every impulse purchase, every moment of frustration or weakness, every gripe or complaint, every secret shared in confidence. In a world without digital privacy, even if you've done nothing wrong other than think differently, you begin to censor yourself." Mm. I thought that was really powerful yeah. what he wrote there. And so he he's definitely trying to move Apple away from this group of. Riffraff. Chaos factories, Chaos factories. <laughs> which is a great phrase he's claimed um, and I think he's doing a really good job of it but on the flip side of that I think we could see some interesting spin-offs over the next couple of years yeah um, funnily enough while looking into this spin-offs are really good um, at creating value like really good there's a there's an index run by Bloomberg which is the spin-off index and they measure the performance of companies that have been spun off from bigger parents um, they started it on January 1st 2003 and the performance of companies that have spun off since then running up to March this year uh, was 973% return versus the S&P's 342% so that means spun off companies in on average, generate three times the returns of normal businesses. So um, PayPal's the big one, obviously. PayPal's the most recent example that we uh, that we would know about and talk about eBay. quite a lot. Uh, but I mean, can you imagine, like in a couple of years, you might be able to invest just in Amazon Web Services, or you might be able to invest directly in Instagram or yeah. directly in YouTube, even. Yeah. Um. This this will actually, I think, uh, create some incredible businesses that will generate an awful lot of value for investors if it ever comes to pass. So just on that topic, Rory, before we came up here, you were talking about the research you're doing for the new stock of the month, which is coming to that on Monday. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about brands and you, you kind of pitched a question to the office about, you know, which were the most kind of powerful brands, I think you pitched it. 
Yeah, I used the word powerful and maybe that was the wrong word to use. It's hard to kind of people hear that word differently. But yeah, the sort of the research for this month's stock of the month and I'll try my best not to give it away because it's better. You know, everyone wants the surprise yeah, on Monday. Surprise on <laughs> Mondays are bad. But yeah, we're thinking of kind of brands and this idea of like how big brands can kind of what uh, Scott Galloway's talks about when he says create monogamous relationships with consumers so if you think about apple as being a particularly strong brand yeah you know the the hardcore apple users not even just the hardcore apple users but they'll have the iphone they'll have the earpods uh mave the airpods the apple watch the macbook pro or the air yes i have all of those things <laughs> they, they just create and like you just basically devote yourself to one um, one company yeah. yeah for your first particular needs yeah um, well like the power of brand like I I think got my first Apple product when I started art college when I was 18 and I remember unboxing it I still have the memory I remember the room I was in yeah I remember what it felt like and I remember being bowled over if I'm honest yeah. oh. and I've, I've never had any other PC opening up an Apple product is it, it is an experience not yeah. to, to sound a bit cliched but it is it's yeah it absolutely is. Yeah. It's just, I, think they, I think they have a team working in California on every aspect of that, yeah. that experience. Uh, so, yeah, so in so kind of looking at that kind of as a theme for this month's stock of the month, and I was kind of asking around the office what people consider kind of powerful brands in, the sp- in various spaces. And then obviously I came across Forbes, which does a yearly roundup of the world's most valuable brands. And... In fairness to them, they have a methodology which they talk about and they explain. It's not not entirely explained, but it's kind of based on how much money is generated, they think, just because of the equity of a brand. But I thought their list was a bit... It didn't, it didn't really resonate with me when I think of kind of powerful brands, or a lot of it didn't resonate with me when I thought of powerful brands. Uh, number one was Apple, which mm. uh, is hard to argue with. Number two was Google, which I can kind of see. I consider it a strong brand. I don't know if I'd put it as number two in the world. Uh, then Microsoft, which branding? No, I wouldn't. I don't think of it as a powerful brand. You know, it's yeah, it's the kind of thing you. I always feel with Microsoft, you're kind of forced to use it a lot. Yeah, it's but, interesting though, like because this is where the nuance comes in. Because me and you, well, us three were having a conversation about this on the office floor, and you mentioned Tesla as a brand, mm. Rory, and you know, you said what comes to mind for me straight away, what the brand evokes is the cars. You know, that's the visual yeah. that gets thrown into my head. But for me, it's Musk. It's the leader. Yeah. Okay, you know, so yeah. how you perceive brand of, is very interesting, you know. Yeah. That's a, one of those problematic brands. <laughs> yeah. um, number four was Amazon anyway. Number five, Facebook. No. I mean, I think we've no. talked about it enough today, but it doesn't strike me as a powerful brand. Okay. If they said Instagram, I would have been like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously, the, again, this is they're doing it a different way than, than I was kind of thinking of it. It's just kind of the, the word powerful even is very subjective. That's you know, it, it's powerful that when I think of Facebook, I immediately think of, you know, privacy issues. Like, that's but still powerful. It's, but it's the not power a, they wield the against power, yeah. the user. Like, yeah. I, w- I would be similar, James. I think I probably would have, if I had answered your question, Rory, which I know I didn't, um, <laughs> which you posted on Slack, um, I would have, I think Facebook would have been in there. Well, Slack is one there with a really great brand. I love, you know, it, it, Slack really embodies the kind of, the overall thing it's been doing, that kind of collaborative workspace. Mm. I love Slack's branding. Yeah, yeah same. That uh, other company we have in the My Wall Street app, um, Duluth, 
I remember we added them. They're very, very small uh, it's retailer. It's funny you mention it, James. They have a great brand as well. That's why I bought Duluth yeah. and it didn't go so well currently. I'm, I'm going to hold along and see what happens. But um, it was the brand. Yeah. And it was the products. Yeah, yeah. They, say the, they say they have a strong brand. You need one of two things. You either need to have pricing power so you can charge more than your competitors and you, or you need to lower search costs um, which uh, I think a good example would be kind of Heinz ketchup. You know, no one wants to try out every single ketchup in the world. They just go to the store, they see Heinz, and they grab it. Um, yeah. So they're the kind of two things I think that makes a really strong brand. But there's also that kind of aspirational thing about brands, how they make you feel, how you want to show yourself off to the world. Mm. Um, Apple's definitely one of those very aspirational brands. Tiffany's is, is particularly strong in that, that way as well. Nike, I think, is a very strong brand. Sure. Um, so yeah, that was just it's just kind of topic yeah. of conversation that I thought was interesting and how we the difference between how you, what you call like a valuable brand and possibly a strong brand. Mm. So this is your chance now, or give a small pitch for the stock of the month <laughs> without um, giving it away. It's it's about brands, <laughs> and it's out on Monday. And it's out on Monday. Poker <laughs> face. Um, so along with the stock of the month, we've lots of new stuff coming in the My Wall Street app too. Um, we'll have a new stock in July. I, I think you're you're perusing the, the shortlist at the moment, Rory. I am, yeah. And um, we also have the new expert opinion piece in the app at the moment, and it deals with all the craziness around Beyond Meat's recent listing. So you can check out all of this stuff, plus loads more content, and our full market-beating list of 103 stocks in the My Wall Street app now. Uh, Maeve. Jargon Busters. We are starting this week with... Um, it's actually a question that came from a call that I was on with one of our longest members in the My Wall Street app. Okay. Shout out to Thomas. Um, he was in southern US and on a lovely sunny day, he brought me out his backyard and it was a video call. So he actually introduced me to his French bulldog called Andy, who I screenshotted no uh, with his, his permission. No wonder his question's getting asked. <laughs> and, uh, Andy is a great name for a dog. It's I a love, cute dog. I love animals. I posted with, like, it in Slack. It went down well. I love I love animals with like really human names. Yeah. Yeah. When you meet a dog <laughs> yeah. called Roger. We, yeah. we, my neighbor had a horse once and it was just called John. <laughs> Someone with a terrier called Alan. It just, yeah, it makes you laugh. But um, yeah, I think Thomas has been with us for over three years now. So uh, we had a lot to talk about. But he asked me a question that a lot of people ask. Um, I know it's a broad one, so we'll see how we tackle it. But basically, it's how do my Wall Street approach looking for new stocks? So where does the research or the idea generation begin? That's a really tough question to answer. Uh, I think we've tried to answer it before, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, it's hard to pinpoint. I suppose you kind of create yourself a little kind of, not bubble necessarily, but an air, like you start reading a lot of financial stuff. Essentially, you read financial websites, financial blogs, technology blogs. Um, Twitter is a really good source for just hearing people talk about different companies just seeing ticker symbols kind of flash up in front of you mm-hmm. uh, and then if you kind of see them kind of coming up more and more you might look into the company a bit more you might add it to a watch list might get onto a, the long list and the short list eventually um, reading the Wall Street Journal every day just you get hints about companies reading guys like The Motley Fool are always generating great ideas their their podcast is particularly good and they talk about a lot of companies uh, similar companies to the ones that we would tend to look into then there's other times where you kind of take a idea a broader idea um maybe like a, a macro idea 
and you try and dig into possible solutions to either uh, opportunity or a problem. So I suppose a good example would be ShotSpotter. Uh, you know, that, that came about from thinking about the problem of gun crime and how it's possibly going to be resolved or if there is any possible technological solutions. Okay. So that was kind of a more broad idea that ended up boiling down to a very specific company. Um, again, kind of on a macro trend, we, we knew people were spending a lot more on pet care hmm. uh, over the last 10, 20 years. So looking into companies in the pet care space, you know, finding every company that was involved in pet care and picking the two or three that we thought were the strongest in the space. And is there any resource that would outline, I suppose, global spends and trends and kind of industries that are performing particularly well? I don't know if any singular source. No, it's it's just reading articles. Okay. Uh, you know, reading Bloomberg, um, any any kind of financial literature you can get your hands on. Uh, they'll typically talk about. You'll find articles about various trends, various industries that are doing well, various industries that are under under pressure, uh, and that's just you know that'll start you down a path that'll lead you to well, hopefully lead you to a, a good company that you feel like you can invest in. Okay, you said reading a lot there, so I'm guessing that that's the kind of key takeaway. Yeah, it's just reading a lot, yeah. really. Okay. There's no like magic website that, I mean, there's stock screeners and things like that that people can do. You can go in and put in various metrics that you want and you'll get a list of stocks that fit those metrics. But that doesn't really tell you much about the companies. That just gives you, that's kind of making a long list slightly less long. Sure. Okay. Thomas, hope that helps. Um, next one should be a little lighter and I think we've covered before, but for any new listeners, they might benefit. It is a question on stock splits. Um, what is the impact of a stock split on a company and what is the reasoning behind it? Uh, so uh, numerically, this, the the idea of, st- or technically a stock split should have absolutely no impact on a company. Uh, literally what they're doing is they're just taking all the shares they have, let's say they have 10 million shares out there and they're just splitting them a certain way. So if they have 10 million shares valued at $100 and they split them two to one, they then have 20 million shares valued at $50. So the only real reason, or the reason companies do it most of the time is to, it's when maybe the price of the stock has gone up to, you know, the $500, $400 mark, and they're trying to make them a bit more liquid in the market, so allow people to invest in them a bit easier. Um, then you have reverse stock splits, which I think we talked about a few months ago. Blue Apron uh, had one recently. Blue Apron had one recently where they they'd actually fallen below the threshold that the the stock market allowed them to operate on. Uh, so they were un- under the $1 a share. So they did a reverse stock split where they, so every one share became, uh, every, sorry, every 15 shares became one share. Yeah. I've confused myself there. <laughs> uh, therefore, they went from having like $1 share to a $15 share and that kept them above a certain threshold. That's usually a pretty bad sign. When a company does a reverse stock split, it shows that they're really struggling. Okay. Yeah, I think the the main point is though that the actual equity you own in a company doesn't change. No, it doesn't change at all. Like literally, nothing changes. the The price of the share goes gets cut in half, and the amount of shares that you own doubles. That's just the. It's just a kind of um, technical solution to balancing how costly the price is of the share. Okay. Sure. Um. Lastly, for Jargon Busters, it's just quite a straight question on what has happened to you to uh, to to you this year. 
You're going to ask um, what happened to you too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go there. <laughs> I think we might need a separate podcast. Let's not get into Bono. Um, it's from another member, actually, Jordan. So he's just mentioned that it's down 50% since February. And his, his question is just what happened? A lot of the times things don't have to happen for shares to go down. I think this is probably one of the hardest things to explain sometimes. Uh, you often get questions from people being like, this stock was at this price and now it's at this price. What happened? Um, sometimes things do happen. So, uh, I mean, of the things that happened with, with 2U, they missed a couple of, uh, they forecasted revenue uh, numbers, not by uh, a long shot by any chance. They yeah. just, you know, a couple of earnings didn't go as well as people had hoped they would go. Um, probably the more, the kind of longer term story is that a company like 2U is is really trying to disrupt what is a very old age industry in education. Um, and, you know, they say the, the industries that need to be disrupted the most are the ones that have seen the highest uh, rise in prices without delivering uh, sufficient value to compensate for that. And James, you sent a, a tweet the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was the price, the relative price of the price change in the United States from 1997 to December 2017. And the, the highest are hospital services, uh, college textbooks and college tuition are just yeah. like miles ahead of everything else, uh, way over inflation. Um, so there are three, that, well, it's two really, I suppose, college textbooks, college tuition being education and hospital services where are three industries that are really ripe for disruption. Mm -hmm. And 2U is one of those companies that is, is trying to do that. They're trying to basically disrupt the way education is delivered. So they're creating a delivery system for education that can possibly spread it to a broader audience. Um, now, they have had some kind of criticisms. There was an article in Huffington Post a couple of um, months ago which where someone really went after 2U and said that the system that they created wasn't actually helping spread uh, education at all, it was just generating more money for the colleges. Uh, so that was quite a negative viewpoint. I don't know if I necessarily agreed with it. I think that was there's more a uh, bigger systemic problem um, that 2U is trying to at least offer a solution to. Um, but yeah, it, the, that kind of negative press probably dulls down the appetite for the stock and you see it trading at just a lower multiple than it was at months uh, ago but you know it's not a it's not a profitable company yet so there's very little kind of numerical reasons why it's down a certain percent or why it was up it was up massively before that so yeah it's a kind of sentiment play you know okay cool. we now arrive at elevator pitch which is this week themed around a successful company that you would have passed on in a pitch meeting yeah this is you you came with this idea Rory or it was, it was guy stole this idea I stole it from Twitter a guy on Twitter posted it, I it was really that's good where all idea. the good ideas are yeah. the chaos factory <laughs> um, okay Rory I don't know what you're going to pitch James I can see what yours is so we'll start with the unknown Rory me yeah okay, uh, the, so I'm going to give the same answer I gave the guy on Twitter um, which is and it's a company we seem to be talking about quite a lot recently which is Lululemon uh, and it was the literally the first company that came to mind when I saw this tweet which was uh, so the did we give the full uh, reason the company we would pass on in a pitch meeting? Yep. Yeah. 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 So if someone sat down and pitched me uh, a yoga apparel retailer that was going to charge one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars, <laughs> that had very for a fancy pair, straps. Yeah, with a, for a pair of yoga pants, I would have laughed them out of the room because they might have done well for a brief period of time, and then Nike would come in and just roll them over. Yeah. Um, 
and I've been proven wrong. Lululemon has been an incredible success. Uh, they're a vertically integrated company in a horizontally ver- in a horizontally <laughs> integrated uh, competitive landscape. Uh, they've managed to control their image, control their uh, supply to or their distribution to customers so well. They're really selling a lifestyle, selling experience, and they've become a real giant in the space in the last few years. So well done to them. And they've managed to do it without any kind of constant CEO at the helm, which is even more impressive. They have had a problem with CEOs, haven't they? They've had about five or six in the last few years. It's mad. Right, Lila Lemon, first up. James, over to you. So for me, I'm going with uh, Stitch Fix. So a recent enough addition to the My Wall Street app, it pitches itself as an online personal styling service. So basically they send out boxes of clothes, or fixes as they call them, to customers. So this is something, it's it's not exactly a new idea. I know other retailers, fashion retailers particularly, have done this before, like Nordstrom and Under Armour. And it's always had limited success. Um, they've had decent revenue growth and subscriber growth in their most recent quarterly report. But, you know, I'm just very sceptical of the company because I think it's rife for disruption by a large competitor like Amazon, obviously. But um, it was Emmett who was actually a big fan of Stitch Fix. He was um, he pitches to us a few times, Rory. And what really kind of sold me on Stitch Fix was, to paraphrase Emmett, it's not an online fashion company, but it's a data company that's shipping fashion. So the amount of data that Stitch Fix get off their customers in, you know, figuring out the styles they want and that iter of back and forth, back and forth. Um, they're also, they have a great um, subscription-based revenue model. Um, and yeah, just that recommender system. I think it's a it's a cool way to think of a company like that as a, as a data company rather than a fashion company. Yeah. I think Emmett was the first person who brought my attention towards Stitch Fix as well. Yeah, it, it's not available here. I think it's yeah. coming to the UK soon, but um, it's something I would I really want to try now. I'm really curious about yeah. it. So I suppose... In the spirit of ele- elevator pitches, I probably would have passed on Lululemon ahead of Stitchfix. You know, does that mean I'm I'm right or wrong? I don't know. <laughs> isn't it about all, which one you pass? All I know is that when I, if I had heard the I suppose uh, proposition for Lululemon, I would have said no way. But now I want their leggings. So <laughs> as a consumer, does that mean that you win? I think so. <laughs> we're all winners. Oh, yeah, we're all winners. <laughs> um, so that's about it from this week's Stock Club. Um, don't forget about all the great new stuff in the My Wall Street app at the moment. We've also got a rebrand you might have noticed. So um, enjoy that. <laughs> if there's anything else you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode of Stock Club, please make sure to get in touch. You can reach us on Twitter. That's at My Wall Street or email us on pod at mywallstreet.com. That's P-O-D at mywallstreet.com. If you enjoy Stock Club, please leave a rating for it or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast player you listen to us on. We'd really like to hear from you. That's it from today. So thanks for listening and happy investing. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 